all of a sudden things just nailed into place over the matter of a couple of few days when I, when I thought about, well, why don't I just do, you know, that impact meme text on top of the drawings, taking these drawings that, you know, are pretty meticulous and pretty precious and meticulously hand drawing this text on there. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 195th episode, I'm pleased to have Shelby Shadwell back on once again. We're going to talk all about drawing and text in his most recent series of drawings that explore meme and memedom. So we're going to talk all about that and social media coming up. Of course, his exhibition is up today at William Havaugh Gallery in Denver, Colorado. Again, the show runs from now until September 15th, so be sure and check it out. And of course, visit shelbyshadwell.com for more information. Of course, if you're catching this podcast for the very first time, we do want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen right there conveniently with the default player, or you can just click that iTunes hyperlink, subscribe to the podcast, and that way you've always got something to listen to in the studio. Of course, you can follow us in a number of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. So please be sure and do that and say hello. And with those announcements out of the way, here's our interview with Shelby Shadwell. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Studio Break, Shelby Shadwell. How are you doing? I'm great, Dave. Thanks for having me on the the call. It's always great to talk to you and... uh... Uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Again, it's been a number of years and, you know, as we've been reminiscing and talking a bit about how your work's changed, I'm sure we're going to dive into that and some shows. And again, kind of interestingly enough, you were just talking a little bit about, you know, some of this being kind of new and, you know, yesterday you informed me that you're going to be going on sabbatical next year. So I'm sure you're going to have, uh, lots of time to, uh, plug away at this work, but, uh, till then, uh, What's been going on? How's how have things been uh, changing in your work? And obviously, we can break that all apart. Yeah, thanks again, Dave. And uh, yeah, just to touch on a, a few things. It's been a while since we talked, for sure. But uh, yeah, the work's gone in in some interesting directions. You know, nowadays I've got a, a five year old and a two year old that keep me really busy. And then, uh, as I was talking about with you, my my third kid is kind of uh, being politically active here recently, <laughs> and that's taken a lot of uh, time away from the the studio and uh yeah we're doing a like a, a statewide ballot initiative here in wyoming concerning money and politics and it's called wyoming promise if anybody wants to google it and find out so that's that's taken a lot of time but i think it's important um important to do but yeah as far as the work is concerned i've had uh, a lot of really exciting things just kind of come together uh we were talking about this a little bit yesterday but hindsight is nowhere is hindsight more 2020 than it is in an, in your artistic career. Um, and you may be doing stuff and you have no idea why you're doing it. And then you try something else and you're like, you look back on it and you're like, well, that makes total sense. Why wasn't I always doing that? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I'm still making the large scale charcoal drawings, but the subject matter is starting to change from diapers and trash bags and cockroaches to other things that we can get into a little bit, but the process is still really the same. I'm still working with charcoal on, on a prepared polyester surface, a gessoed surface, and working additively and reductively with the charcoal implements. So, so as a as a matter of of technique or process, all of that has remained the, 
kind of the same. But, you know, text has come into this. And, and the reason I mentioned the political work that I'm doing is because that was in some ways the genesis of it. And being politically active, I've been forced to be on things like Facebook more than I would mm-hmm. want to be. And, you know, especially in these polarized political times and since the 2016 election, you know, you go online and what do you see? Well, you see memes, <laughs> memes, memes everywhere. And um, it's just interesting to note that, um, you know, 90% of what people are going to see of your work as an artist these days is online as well. Um, they may never, ever see your work in person, but they'll, they'll see it online in some way, shape or form. And so in some ways, these two things started to kind of meld for me. I, I did start a new body of work that was, and I just had a title for the body of work and it was comedy, C-O-M-E-D-I-E. And I, I don't, I just thought, you know, that's a cool title. Why don't I, why don't I go with that and see what happens? I've always thought that, and I tell my students this all the time, you know, humor and absurdity are things that are oftentimes neglected uh, by artists. I mean, not by all artists, I think, you know, great artists uh, get it right, Maurizio Catalan and, and folks like that, that get the right level of humor and absurdity in their work. It makes awesome work. But a lot of times students, you know, are trying to save the world and, and um, mm-hmm. they uh, kind of dismiss uh, anything that's not saving the world. And I was kind of in that with my own work. And so I thought, well, comedy, let's start with that title and go from there. And so I was, you know, seeing all these political memes and memes are really interesting things because they're like, they're like the two guys walk into a bar jokes of our time, except even more of a fast food version of comedy. They're interesting in that way. Some of them are absolutely hilarious, like, and just absurd and funny and weird and wonderful. And some are just like, you know, the most trite things you've seen in your, in your life. And I've always been interested in, in text and image to a great extent, you know, Ed Ruscha, Barbara Kruger, like all these folks that, that use text in their work, they, they do it really, really well. And from having juried a lot of art, art exhibitions at this point, I've seen that most people get text and image or text as image really, really wrong. Like <laughs> it's either really, really good <laughs> or it's really, really bad. So I've always been interested in text and all of a sudden things like started to come together. Well, what would happen if you know, I was to put meme text in the drawings and, and play with that in a way, you know, as, as looking, looking at humor and absurdity. Before that, right before that, I had thought about doing like Trump Loy watermarks on my work that, that look like, you know, when you do a digital image and you put mm-hmm. a watermark on it. And I was thinking of doing those like Trump Loy watermarks, but all of a sudden things just nailed into place over the matter of a couple of few days when I, when I thought about, well, why don't I just do, you know, that impact meme text on top of the drawings, taking these drawings that, you know, are pretty meticulous and pretty precious and meticulously hand drawing this text on there. It's so fast to make memes too. That's the great thing about them, you know, to actually redraw it by hand and superimpose it with the imagery I'm doing, I thought was a, a pretty powerful thing and a pretty interesting thing that, that goes along with a lot of the things I've been doing in my past. So Roy Lichtenstein, you know, his, his paintbrush painting with the glob of paint on it and the brush stroke uh, was always a fascinating painting for me because he was really commenting on abstract expressionism at the time, you know, and really meticulously, you know, making that image, whereas you know, abstract expressionism was all about quickness and being in the moment and, and the, the, the personal gesture and expression. And so that, that also comes into this work uh, to a great extent. The interesting thing is, 
now that I've made these these meme drawings, which are really large, I've been you know posting them on Instagram and social media, Facebook, like especially my brother when he gets into you know a heated Facebook <laughs> argument, I'll just throw on the meme text which or the meme drawing that's basically a big pile of crushed up cockroaches. Uh, but the meme text is something, of course, that I got from memes on the internet. When you state your opinion on the internet, <laughs> and it's just this big squished up pile of cockroaches. So I've actually used them to engage in social media and debate and things like, well, that's just like your opinion, man, mm-hmm. on the image with a tarantula sitting in a diaper, sitting in a trash bag. And it's interesting to see the reaction. I, I mean, I didn't necessarily anticipate them blowing up at all and get going viral or whatever. And they haven't yet yet, <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting to take these things that took forever to make and use them in a system that is so fast and it's getting faster and faster by the day. The imagery that's being generated, you know, meme images and things like that is getting faster and faster and to take these things and put them on social media is just about the most absurd thing I could think to do. A lot of times I've been taking just um, text that I find from other other memes, like you know, uh, and using my own imagery. So, and it makes no the text makes no sense with the imagery at all. But uh, I, I really got into I'm really getting into um, you know I've got one you know like and share if you agree. That, that's something you see in memes all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one like equals one prayer. One share equals 10 prayers and, and things like that. What movie is this? Only give wrong answers. Uh, tag a friend and don't say anything. And, and what this has allowed me to do is actually switch up my imagery uh, as well. You know, I was really into the, the diapers and the trash bags and the cockroaches and then getting into like tarantulas and things like that. But this has given me the opportunity to really explore a lot of different imagery. So hunting imagery is coming in there, um, hands and feet in a weird way. I think, I think some of the uh, pumpkins that, <laughs> that some squirrels at my house ate into. So they look like something out of stranger things too. Just, it's really exciting. It's exciting to have that kind of that door to openness. And the last thing I'll say about text and image, and we were talking a little bit about this, but you know, early on, I had those drawings from grad school, which were very much dependent on titles. So, you know, like a crock pot drawing, but it's the title is still life with kitten. And so it's sort of intimating that the kitten could be in the crock pot and stuff like that. You know, I never got any traction with that work because no jurors never read titles. You know, jurors don't read titles for anything. So they're missing all that work. But if I'd had this meme uh, device, you know, back then, I think it would have been pretty hilarious. That, again, that's how things come back. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Whatever you're working on now is going to be important twenty years later. And you know what 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 you did in grad school is going to be important when you're sixty. And uh, it all fo- uh, folds together. It all means something. It's all important, uh, whether you think it is at the time or not. So I, I think that's just kind of a crash course into kind of what's going on now. And I'm super, super excited about it. Yeah. I mean, again, there's so much to uh, chomp on there. A lot to digest in that, you know, again, kind of overview again, as you kind of highlighted, you know, you've been drawing kind of these uh, 
just everyday kind of objects, or at least I guess maybe if you, uh, you know, order a couple of thousand cockroaches and draw them from observation or photograph them anyways, you know, that kind of hyper realism has always been in there. And there's kind of like you had kind of talked about a little bit. There's a weirdness in terms of just drawing right over the top of something that you might have spent months and months kind of creating to kind of create this this thing of the everyday, which is essentially, um, you know, a meme. Yeah. One of the things that I remember specifically, I remember one of the last times that we talked and maybe one of your oldest drawings in the series is uh, tag a friend. And at the time, I believe um, it was just a drawing of a, you know, sexual device with these uh, spiders crawling all over it in this, you know, super heightened, you know, light. And it's kind of like this weirdly kind of, sensual slash kind of disgusting kind of image that I'm sure you're kind of meaning to kind of evoke, you know, something in the viewer, but then to kind of take that and then to throw text over the top of it, I'd imagine is that like kind of like the, the key way into this a little bit in terms of just thinking about this as, as a way that you could kind of change your work or as you kind of said, kind of bring back that idea and make it very direct. So as I mentioned to you uh, before we started the podcast, like, in a way, I haven't written like an artist statement for this body of work yet. And so a lot of what I'm trying to do right here with you is kind of hash out some of these ideas mm-hmm. that I could then use to kind of write the statement. But yeah, I I, I mean, it, it has to do with everything in that sense of uh, high art and low art, you know, memes being, again, the fast food kind of junk food of, of comedy, but with an artistic component. Um, but then, you know, taking this very meticulous drawing process, very hyper real drawing process and, and melding those two things together. I mean, that's just what artists have been doing, I think, successfully throughout modernism and, and into postmodernism. And, um, it's, it's all about recontextualizing things. So, you know, if you, if I just have that imagery, that's going to mean one thing, of course, but I put the text on it. Well, I'm pointing to something else as well then. And the new meaning is created in that intersection between those two things I'm kind of pointing at. And I, I think that's working really well for me in a way. And also, again, you know, get back to, to humor, get back to abs- absurdity, I think, is the main thing. And that relates, I think, to the our whole social and political and economic situation that we hear, have here in the United States, but also across the world. I mean, see the rise of a lot of politicization of things. And uh, it's absurd. There's an absurdity to all of it in a way that people can't get together and have uh, conversations, it seems like, the way they used to, although that might be (laughs) making things nostalgic is the way they used to be. But so it's supposed to be totally absurd. And hopefully there are these vexing things that people can look at and get it, but also, you know, question uh, some of those things as well. Also, you see these things in person. I mean, they're huge, like in the gallery space. And you see these, we're used to seeing memes, you know, like one inch by one inch or whatever, three inches by three inches on a computer screen. And you see these things gigantic and you're like, wait a second, that's done by hand. I mean, to me, just doing those things, that for me gives these things value. And that's a question we may have talked about it in a previous podcast, but I'm really interested in this idea of what thing, what gives objects, what gives art, what gives images power. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, you know, you you see an American flag and you're like, OK, it's just an American flag. But then somebody tells, you, no, that that American flag was on the moon. They took it to the moon and then they brought it back. Oh, all of a sudden that American flag has this power. And that's something I've been grappling with as an artist. And I think a lot of artists do grapple with that or maybe not enough artists grapple with that. The thing that gives these 
images and these objects as drawings power is that meticulousness with which I approach the, the drawing and the imagery, you know, and the time it takes. And there's something to that, you know, you, people might look at these in an instant and be like, oh, it's just a meme. And then it's hilarious on social media when I post the, the installation shot of me making the drawings of these memes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really blows people away. All of a sudden, these things have power. And so I find my memes, when I post my drawings online, to be more powerful than the other memes, I suppose. Uh, and so it's a way of just looking at art and art making practice as well in that sense. And it makes me think of something, too, because you're kind of entering into that space that, you know, maybe, you know, you mentioned Facebook early on at some point. You know, that might be a space that younger people are leaving. And in a way, it's kind of interesting to kind of take something that is considered fine art. And I'm sure, you know, if you wanted to make a, a career just drawing traditional landscapes or, you know, vases of flowers or something, you know, you might be able to kind of have something that is, you know, appealing, but then something that can kind of be crumpled away and, and, and tossed away in a different way. And so, again, it's interesting to kind of try to combine, you know, this this kind of, um, you know, this question or this idea or something that's going to elicit a response when they're kind of like looking at the subject matter because you're not choosing, you know, to pick something just based on aesthetics and your, you know, forum now is also this online forum, but then they also, like you said, have that other life. You can see them being worked on, you know, in the, in the space that you're, you know, making these drawings. And then also, you know, when you're exhibiting them, you know, they're, you know, four feet wide and I'm sure some of them might be even larger, but you know, they're all encompassing. So there's kind of an interesting, you know, relationship between that, that kind of online or social media meme view and then seeing these in person. Yeah. And that's interesting too. Yeah. Really to talk about, you know, the influence of social media, Instagram, Facebook, things like that. I had started making these drawings square far before I started the, with the meme text. And I don't know why I was doing that at the beginning, but it, it, it coincided with, with Instagram and having those square images. I think you can do more than square now, but there was something churning in my brain back then. Like, why do a, why am I doing these on a square format as opposed to some kind of rectangle? Isn't that a compositional disaster? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, there was something in the back of my head that was starting to work and starting to say, well, what can you do with a square? And, um, and, inst- and then Instagram comes along or it was coming along at the same time. And it's like, wow, well, that was, you know, <laughs> it, it, there's a lot of what we do that's maybe not conscious when we're doing it, but we're, it, again, it's all important. We do it for a reason. And I find that it's interesting that these objects exist now, these images and objects do exist in those different levels. So in the gallery, they take on a very interesting context Online, though, there's this I find the online existence of these drawings amusing. <laughs> I, I'm not really on a lot of social media. So I do Facebook, but that's part of the political work. And I'm on I've got an Instagram kit page that I slowly update. Um, but I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm not on what, what are the kids doing these days? The Snapchats and the, the Googles and the whatever. Gigaflop. Yeah. <laughs> made that up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not on all these platforms and, uh, maybe I should be, but I'm, I'm not because I hate it at the same time, but you know, hopefully, you know, these things take off and they, if, if they were to go viral or something someday and people start using them, these memes, instead of the ones they can make quickly on their computer, I think that would be hilarious. Yeah. I I think in an odd way, it's uh, much more possible to be known if you're good at organizing 
you know, web web pages and making sure that everything has its proper tag. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be in Google search engines or, you know, mm-hmm. who knows if it'll just be um, some new arm of the government that just takes over all, <laughs> all these yeah. all these kind of websites. But I, I'm kind of kidding with that. But you know what I mean? Like you can imagine, though, like in a weird way, like it's maybe archived, you know, forever in, in a different way, obviously, than something that's going to be physical. Totally. But it's interesting, too, because the then you think about all the images, you know, like, I mean, you know, we talked a little about Instagram and I could imagine, again, even just as you're going through there, you know, you're following artists, but then you're also, you know, following people that are showing you what they ate and, you know, what, you know, what they made for dinner and, you know, where they're on vacation and all these other things. And it just kind of, you know, keeps churning and churning and churning, you know, all these images. And you, I don't know, you just start to wonder too what that, the future of that is even like. Yeah. And again, I, I maybe a just crazy tangential thing, but I, I don't know, I could I could imagine another version of this work that operates in a totally digital way. You know what I mean? And there's certainly artists that'll that'll use technology to kind of play around with ideas of um, you know things that are discarded, or in our case, like socially piling on everything and having an opinion, and you know just kind of beating people over the head with it. Yeah. But I've said way too much. You should respond and come up with something. <laughs> no, those are those are really good points. So two things on that. I think that's really interesting. Going back to what you were talking about being an artist these days and what it takes to be an artist. There, there's artists I know out there. It's a great artist that, that I met uh, who was a visiting artist here at University of Wyoming. Um, his name's Paul Heaston, and he makes these awesome drawings from life. And he's in the Denver area, and um, he's got like I don't know how many hundred thousand you know Instagram followers. And he's a really great artist, you know. And I know he has also has I, I'm pretty sure he has a tech background too. And it's just amazing all the work that you might need to do to be able to get that kind of following. So, you know, used to be when I was dreaming about, you know, if I was able to hire assistants, I was like, oh yeah, I'll hire somebody to do, to, you know, prep this or do that. But no, I think, I think if you need something as an artist these days, it might be to hire a full-time social media person because (laughs) ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Like I can't make the drawings, have two kids, and teach and 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 make the work and do everything I need to do and do all that tech stuff stuff and keep up with that tech stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing pretty well just keeping up with my website, you know, and updating right, right. that or like my Facebook page or my Instagram page. Like, and that takes enough time. But I'm not doing all the hashtags this and the Twitter handles that. I just don't know and I don't care to know. But I I wish if I could hire one person, it would be a social media person that could really push this out. Maybe, maybe that's what I should write the grant for is like to hire somebody to, for, to help me with social media. Cause as we're talking about like social media in some ways is integral to this, to this work. So yeah, that was, that was the main thing I was going to say. I, I'd be interested to know like how other artists and how your audience in your audience like deal with, with that, if they do it themselves, which is likely, or, you know, if anybody does actually hire people to do that kind of thing. Well, so I guess any aspiring studio assistants should get in touch with Shelby Shadwell, message in a bottle style. You could also, uh, of course, hunt them down on Instagram and send them a direct message and, you know, be all sorts of invasive or, you know, just say, hey, I want to come out and be your uh, laborer for a couple months. Yeah. Just an yeah, apprentice. I, I would find a way to, I would find a way to pay. I would find a way. <laughs> If anybody just goes to shelbyshadwell.com, you can get in touch with me really easy. But um, that, would be a, that would be a cool a, – I think that would be the one thing I would be 
in need of, you know, as far as everything goes. I, I, I have no problem making the drawings and stuff like that. It's just everything else. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we've talked about this this and you alluded to it earlier you know you have a family you've got all these responsibilities aside from you know teaching and and making work and it's one of those things where you kind of have to balance all those things out and you start wondering then so are are there just people that are just just drawn to this as a medium you know what i mean i guess maybe it comes down to being drawn into it in a way that kind of makes you want to keep engaging and that's something that's kind of interesting to me because i kind of view it in a similar fashion you know, as something that I feel like it's a responsibility to do and something that I certainly check out, but it's just not something that occurs to me, you know, if I've got five minutes to kill, even if I'm, you know, just waiting somewhere to necessarily always kind of be on it and be like, oh my gosh, I got to check and like things on, I'm mm-hmm. I'm sorry, heart things on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It's a full-time job. Even, even if you're not trying to, you know, really trying to re- promote yourself and do those kinds of things, it's a, it's still... Like it's amazing how often, you know, people are or how much time people look at their phones or their or their screens, which I also think is kind of absurd. But again, that's I think that's why the work that I'm doing now is meaningful uh, to me, because it speaks to that cultural kind of thing. You know, people when they see these online digitally, there's going to be that extra kind of layer. And when they see it in person, then there's going to be that extra layer of things. When people look at the work in a gallery, I can imagine them, you know, taking photos and putting them on Instagram and it's like, you know, a meme, you know, right there. And, and so I I don't know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out. But for me, all in all, like what I'm doing right now, I'm really, really happy with where I'm at. Previous times when I've talked to you, I've been like, I've been thinking, okay, so what's the next thing? And I'm like looking down the road and I'm like, oh, things are going to hit some kind of wall. And with this, it's just opened up again. And I'm really excited that I've got a few years worth of work on this that can keep going. And again, it's also the work, it's an homage to those folks that do text and do it really, really well in artwork. And, um, you know, going back to, for instance, um, you know, we've talked about films a lot on previous podcasts. And of course, we're both fans of, of They Live, that classic John Carpenter film. You know, mm-hmm. people put on the, the glasses and see the aliens, but not just the aliens, but every billboard, you know, instead of drink Coke, it says obey, mm-hmm. you know, or it says, you know, uh, consume and things like that. Well, part of the inspiration for that uh, in that film was, I, I think it was, it was Barbara Kruger's work, you know, with the, the billboards and the screen printing and the text. And, and I always loved that movie. And I'm like, you know, the text I'm putting this meme text impact is the font. And it's like, it's kind of shouting at people in a way that I, I find, again, I, I feel like it's a terrible thing to shout at people with this text, meme text, but mm-hmm. there's those connections as well. If you look at, um, the classic or one of the classic movie posters for the thing it's in that impact font. Um, and it just says the thing, you know, and it's in that very specific font that, that people use for memes. So again, all these things kind of come back around and, uh, and, and are impacting, impacting the work in that way. 
Well, and it's interesting because, you know, when you look back over, you know, you've got a, a whole plethora of work. And again, I would encourage people to check it out on your website. You know, lots of beautiful drawings, um, if if I can say that. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, as you're moving through and, and, you know, dealing with piles of cockroaches and flies and bugs and kind of things like that. And we start getting to obviously we talked earlier about the uh, the sex toy. We've got diapers. But then. Uh, you know, it also seems like some of the subjects are starting to kind of become a little bit more removed from that, you know, and again, you talked about the like and share if you agree with this mm -hmm. kind of it's it's a weird it's a weird gesture because it's kind of offensive, but kind of not offensive because, yeah. you know, again, it's just I believe uh, your finger kind of wrapped around your fingers in a, in a way that it looks like weirdly suggestive. But, yeah. you know, you talked yeah. you talked about that earlier about how you're you know opening doors in terms of maybe you know what you can kind of draw so i would imagine then in that regards you know there's like this whole open range in terms of a way that you can attach a mean to something so yeah you know while all of your drawings i look at are you know really rich and detailed and layered you know i wonder too i mean like there's a possibility to make it in a weird way like the total opposite or you know simplified or subject matter like from a totally different you know, vantage point or, or way to kind of look at it. So I'm kind of curious then you, you mentioned that you, you know, we're starting some new drawings and exploring some new subjects. I mean, is there some kind of like relationship there that makes sense? Um, yeah, it's got a, it's got a rich kind of personal history for me, things like, yeah, hands and feet also, um, you know, the ubiquity these days, and maybe it's not so much now, but you know, there's this whole, just to make a Portlandia reference, you know, put a bird on it kind of, mentality in a lot of art and and instead of a bird it's mostly like a deer or wildlife and so you look at these contemporary paintings of wildlife and there's something that's ubiquitous about that sort of it's like a genre of painting these days it's like you've got to have antlers in there or wildlife in there so I'm a hunter I hunt here in Wyoming you know I, I've never had wildlife in my my imagery but of course in Wyoming there's a huge slightly different genre of 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 course wildlife painting and antelope and deer and elk and those have their own ubiquity as well and so but you also have again I think you know contemporary painters taking that in contemporary painting in a different direction as opposed to the traditional thing but that's starting to come into my work because I think part of the reason people want to draw deer and wildlife and things like that is like, well, they're just, they're just cool to draw. I mean, there's something mm -hmm. like really cool about rendering them in that way. You know, I always say this about, you know, drawing portraits or drawing the figure, which I think is a really important thing. It's like, why do it? It's difficult one, but it's also the, the time when dirt or paint or clay actually transcends the materials and takes on a sense of humanity. You know, you don't look at the Mona Lisa and talk about, well, that's just dirt on canvas. You talk about, oh, that mysterious smile. Mm -hmm. uh, same, same with wildlife and animals too. And so, the, and the bugs in my work, you know, don't have that same kind of sense, but it's part of the reason I was doing them. But, you know, getting wildlife into my imagery is, uh, is something, again, and I think it'll just kind of help subvert those two very traditional, like those two genres of wildlife and painting, the very traditional version, and then this sort of postmodern contemporary painting version. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about where you see a lot of wildlife in paintings and stuff like that? And like, I painted fawns uh, throughout my most recent series of, you know, neighborhood uh, scenery just to, just to get them in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Drinking, yeah. Drinking, <laughs> drinking out of a puddle of water in the street, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. 
But it's like, no, I'll flip through like new American paintings and there'll be like, you know, one out of every five paintings has a deer in it. And, um, you know, they're fine paintings, but it's just like, yeah, there's, there's a coolness to them. I was just thinking, you know, again, you could also, it'd be interesting to kind of take a very direct, uh, exploration of popular culture to explore, uh, memedom, you know, there's kind of like this weird cachet of say, videos on youtube just based on a specific show or subject or you know literally like i'll watch videos that are basically taking a bunch of favorite podcasts and just kind of mixing them down to like highlights of things but you gotta wonder you know what would a jedi be like in shelby land you know with a meme totally man it kind of kind of sounds really silly but i just wonder too like what the what that line is you know what i mean in terms of like what you want to do in terms of content because obviously there would be a way to kind of explore, you know, the audience a little bit too, by, you know, changing your drawings and tailoring them to the audience. You know, I could imagine like a series of Eagles riding Eagles with an American flag on it or a diverse group of people marching together, you know, like kind of pull in these audiences and and play with them. Totally. So, so actually that brings up two really important things. And one thing I wanted to touch on one is, yeah, I was kind of thinking about, well, I'm dealing with the, the text aspect of these memes, but you know, I mean, who doesn't love and know that awesome photo film still of, of Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder, you know, with the meme text on it, but get rid of the meme text and you've got actually kind of an interesting composition. You've got, you know, something that people recognize. So I was going to do a, a future series of drawings that are just those iconic memes without the text. You know, the big Lebowski is one, Boromir one does not simply there's there's some really really rich things out there that I want to do. I would really love to recreate those images in one way shape or form. And, but that also gets back into okay, audience participation as well. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. So getting back into this idea of if I could hire one person it would be, you know, somebody to handle social media stuff. Well, I I just started a, a Patreon account. You can find me on Patreon. I have zero supporters. Zero. <laughs> I've read I've raised zero dollars from zero supporters, but they've got a whole system set up and I've been live for like two months. So (laughs) if anybody wants us to give a dollar a month, that'd be awesome. The first subscriber, the first supporter will get something special, I swear. But, you know, you can set up perks for people. You can do things like that. But I just don't have time to organize all that right now. Mm -hmm. So basically all the money I would raise from Patreon would be to go to somebody to help do social media. But I could also solicit, you know, somebody gives 10 bucks a month and they could they could submit ideas for drawings and I could I could actually do those. They could actually be a part of the work, you know, uh, depending on the, the tiered level that they subscribe at. I think, you know, if if somebody definitely wanted me to do something with their work, uh, whether it's imagery or text or something like that, like, you know, hundred dollar a month level seems appropriate. But just hashing those kinds of ideas out is is an interesting thing. And how do you do audience participation? I feel like Patreon's an interesting platform for that. You know, a lot of podcasters do it. A lot of visual artists do it. A lot of musicians do it. And so maybe that's the way of, of getting into that. Of course, I could also just solicit, you know, free ideas on Instagram or Facebook. But why not do it in a way that's structured and where I, I could get some money in order to hire people to help me? And things like that, you know, does, what do you think about that, Dave, those kinds of things? It seems interesting because I, I think it, it makes total practical sense, you know, and especially to think about like what gets support these days, it can kind of be anything, 
and of course, like what people support, you know, so you go to YouTube and, you know, there's a, a wonderful video series that I've watched from time to time. And I say wonderful half-heartedly. I apologize if I'm going to offend anybody, but there's a series where they like take a hot knife and cut through things. Yeah. And it's like millions yeah. and millions of views, you know? Yeah. And in, so in a weird way, people are voting with their time to kind of watch it. And, you know, obviously when they break a th- certain threshold, they get, you know, money. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not something unlike the uh, artist that was on early, early in Studio Break, uh, Dadera, you know, was kind of using Facebook and exploring Facebook and, you know, the culture of like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just that nature of liking something digitally and, you know, trying to figure out a way to turn it into something that would be, you know, monetary. And I guess, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a possibility with that, but I think, I don't know. It comes down to like, as you say, like having, having the time and then just, you know, committing to doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the consistency aspect of it is also kind of important because it seems like the people that are really, really consistent with it and don't have all these different directions are getting pulled, you know, make it have, have an easier time with it, or maybe they're, you know, utilizing their time, but it's, it seems, um, I think, I don't know, there's so many ways to go. I mean, and I was kind of, um, you know, various uh, mediums from time to time. But I mean, like, again, it really is kind of like a whole new thing to kind of consider in terms of how it relates to artwork and, you know, how it's seen. Because like you said, I mean, most people don't see anything. You know, yeah. it's it's seen in, you know, a little phone or, you know, yeah. God, God forbid somebody has a computer and they, they still use those things. Um, right, right. But it's just kind of interesting to think about it in terms of that. Because also you, again, think about that physical context of something, you know, mm-hmm. um, you make, it makes you wonder again, what that, that work is worth, you know, as a philosophical statement, even, even today when, you know, there are artists that will, you know, utilize cheap labor in, in various countries to be able to make it come through, you know, totally, totally. No. And I've always found that to be fascinating, you know, early on when I w- w- was a student, you know, I'm like, Oh, this dude doesn't even make his own work. Right. And, um, or, and, and then as you mature a little bit though, you, you look at it and you say, Oh my gosh, like, I wish I had that. <laughs> kind right, of, right. That, that, the studio of Shelby Shadwell, you know, like studio of Robert Longo or Jeff Koons or any of these folks that, that are, you know, where the artist and is, is more like the composer, the conductor. And that's been going on since way back. I mean, it was the studio of Rembrandt. It wasn't Rembrandt right. doing all the same. And, and I, I think to monetize artwork, you know, we've got this trope, this uh, meme, if you will, the starving artist. Well, the people that aren't starving, like, basically have learned how to, whether it's, it's a, a studio of people or whether it's, uh, you know, working online or, or digitally, some of these Patreon folks that, that do well on the platform or YouTubers, or I, I guess the, the big, you know, keyword these days on is Instagram and the influencers quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, people are starting to monetize are re- in, in a really interesting way, like monetizing fame. I mean, if you think of the Kardashians, if you think about again, in Instagram influence, um, there, there's something that's fascinating about that, but artists have been dealing with that for a long time too. And I don't know, I just think maybe, you know, as things move forward, you know, this Patreon platform in some way giving structure, uh, for income, uh, could be an interesting way of, of, of creating new work and actually, yeah, having other people be a part of the work. It's not just the artist 
me making the work, but it could be because I run out of ideas all the time. I mean, I'm kind of like Vihas Hellman's who's famous for, for artist block. And it's like, <laughs> you know, but makes gorgeous images and, and, uh, you know, to get that audience participation, it'd be nice just to be like, oh, well, I can just do this and give that person credit and everybody's happy. Everybody's I'm making a little money so I can pay the social media person <laughs> and and everything just rolls on that kind of way. I, I think just as a as a test, you know, do some, I don't know, Darth Vader or something and just and just see, it, you know, release it when the next Star Wars movie comes out and yeah. see if heads just blow up, you know. And just mess around with it. I mean, I, again, it sounds so stupid. And again, it might totally be stupid. And maybe nobody ever sees it and you hide it away from everyone. But it's just kind of so fascinating because we're all into these little clicks of what we like and what we don't like. You know, yeah, yeah. it's and and again, it's like amazing to me because like, you know, and I'll say this all the time, you know, like I don't care about uh, Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga or Beyonce um, or um, the dude from Maroon 5. But, mm -hmm. you know, I know that they all know their their stuff, you know, and I know that they've had to work very hard in their, you know, become these artists. Oh, totally. Um, but it's interesting because, like, again, I, you know, I don't have any issue moving on from something that I care not. You know, people get so passionate about this. So I don't know. There's just there's something funny. And I think I thought about this earlier because you had that, you know, you had the piece uh, that's just like your opinion, man. And again, it totally references like kind of like an, you know, on a non literal way. I'm sure there's some people that will see that and kind of be like, I don't know what that's from. And then there'll be people that recognize that movie. Um, totally. I don't know. It just there'd be something interesting about playing with the expectations of something that's so universal, um, you know, loved and hated. I mm -hmm. I saw a notice pop up that the Last Jedi is on Netflix, um, and I watched watched it again for all of like uh, about a minute and thirty seconds before I stopped. Um, so again, you you gotta wonder about these divisive cultural things. I guess it just depends too. Also, like is. What is it that you're willing to kind of explore? And I guess that could lead us back into an actual question then, too. So, you know, how do you, like, explore these ideas, um, you know, in terms of construction? Are you, you know, just kind of taking your time, you know, scrolling through memes and then also looking for visuals or taking visuals or taking walks that, you know, lead you on some sort of journey into thinking about this? I mean, what's that process like even now? The meme stuff is uh, I've just started to generate my own text. Most of the time I just take it from actual memes in the past, but I'm starting to actually take or generate my own text. So, but I'm also even crowdsourcing that. Like I'll usually do a Facebook uh, post on my, you know, Facebook artist site or, or another site or on my just personal page and I'll just write the meme text on there. So for instance, I don't get any likes or shares usually on any of my social media, but I just wrote, you can put anything on it and just posted that and I got more like responses and I just came up with that I'm like I'm gonna put this on one of my drawings I didn't say that or anything but people are like what are you talking about I think I responded to that uh, you should have <laughs> <laughs> I did I did <laughs> yeah but I got like more activity on that than like anything else I've ever done so yeah so that's what's going on with the text to some extent I'm, I'm also really interested of course in philosophy and metaphysics and epistemology and again what is art what gives things value or power as for the imagery itself there's a lot of things that are percolating i always try to get my own imagery so when i was dealing with tarantulas like i it's uh, part of the work is the performance of having to deal with them same with the cockroaches 
uh, with the, the deer imagery and the antelope imagery that's coming up, like these are things that I hunted. And so there's a whole performative sort of experience there. It's not just taking images off of Google or things like that. And some of these are really, really difficult imagery to stage and set up and, and get when I work from from photographs, especially, you know, I'll have to set up these elaborate, you know, like Joel Peter Witkin ish, <laughs> like scenarios of things. And so that's still going on. And there's other things that I haven't been able to get yet. So I'm, I'm looking at d- domestic beetles that, that are used in taxidermy. I'm working with bees coming up. And I think that there's an important thing to have that that connection to the imagery where I was there, I was with it. And three days with freaking tarantulas is, <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, I've tried to wipe the memory from my brain because it was so horrific, <laughs> but it makes the work more important. So although Darth Vader, I think would be awesome to draw, <laughs> especially in charcoal, you know, I still feel like that performance of gathering my own source imagery is probably the reason I work slower, but also the reason the work is more valuable uh, to me and hopefully to viewers as well. Sure. And and again, as you were talking, that's exactly what I was thinking about. There's this kind of importance of being there and seeing something in the right way or, you know, capturing it in the right way or staging it. You know, obviously these take a, a great deal of time, especially when you're working with things that may be kind of a little disgusting. I mean, again, I'm not a, a tarantula hater, but, you know, giant spiders aren't something that I'm accustomed to seeing walking around my apartment, you know, or crawling, crawling around. Sorry. Yeah, r- rattlesnakes are coming into the work, uh, but I haven't logistically figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> so again, that's where getting some money from a platform like Patreon or a grant of some kind through academia would be helpful to to have somebody I could work with on some of these harrowing performances. And again, yeah, the the work is as much performative as it is about drawing. That would make a super interesting workshop for sure. Mm-hmm. We're going to be yeah. drawing this... Uh, <laughs> this whole pile of snakes in here. Yeah. Yeah. Just watch yeah. watching everybody just kind of like what? Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to, to get the snakes, but part of me, part of me can wait <laughs> to, <laughs> sure. to, to, to set up that scenario with the rattlesnakes. I'm, I'm interested to try uh, again, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how all that goes. I'm really excited. Again, this has allowed me to really op- open up and expand my imagery and do some things that I wouldn't have done, you know, had I kept going down the same exact trajectory, you know. But maybe talk a little bit about that show, who's in it, and, you know, is, is there like an overarching kind of a theme, or is it um, essentially, you know, artists that are just kind of drawn together? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, good one, good one. Yeah, um, yeah no, uh, it's the big draw, it's at the William Havu Gallery there in Denver. The opening reception is Friday, August 3rd at normal reception times. And it'll be up, I think, for about a month or so. So folks that are in the Denver area should go check it out. Yeah, it's it, I, I'm in the show, and there's other artists that are primarily working with drawing uh, in the show, including my colleague here at the University of Wyoming, Doug Russell, who uh, really is an amazing drawer, uh, an amazing mentor. He, he's also, um, his work runs the gamut. Just Google Doug Russell artist and, and check out his work. It goes from a lot of travel drawings, drawings on location. He's part of Urban Sketchers, along with that uh, artist I mentioned, Paul Heaston, but also his own work. And to see how his observational drawing goes, ties into his more creative work is is really fascinating. 
Um, so he's in the show as well, and uh, so the, I'm really excited to have him. I do not know the other artists. Bill Amundsen, uh, uh, Louis Ferreira, Tony Ortega. I don't know them, but um, I'm anxious to meet them. And they're, they're working in drawing, at least for the work in this show, primarily. And so I'm, I'm super excited for that. So this is the second time I've shown with, with William Havu Gallery there in Denver. It's a beautiful gallery space. And I'm, I'm really proud to, to be able to show there and, and show, show with them. Other stuff that's coming up, I've got a show at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. And that'll be a big one because that's a big space. And I'm showing with my colleague Brandon Gellis uh, here from University of Wyoming. And it'll be a two-person show. And I'm really excited about that one, too, just because there's going to be a ton of work in there. And that's going to be in this fall, this fall. And then I've got a show, another drawing show. And details on this haven't been nailed down yet, but it's at the University of Dallas uh, there in, in the great state of Texas. That'll also be in the fall. So I put updates for all of this stuff on social media and my website and to let folks know about things that are upcoming. Uh, so that's the best way to kind of keep in touch and, and see what I'm doing. Well, hopefully, again, you got it dialed in in terms of displaying these. Lots of lots of shipping going on. Are these not to take that and certainly go check out all of the all the shows and visit Shelby's website? But I'm curious. Then, are are you working predominantly then on paper, and then they're just um, like magnetically put to the wall, or are they framed in any way? Or yeah, great question, great question. Yeah, so you you know as well as anybody, like half or maybe not half, but at least a good third of what we do is just figuring out how to get an artwork from point A to point B safely <laughs> and as, as, as least expensively as possible. So yeah, over my career, I've devised strategies of doing this. So yeah, there, these works are, are charcoal and pastel on a prepared polyester surface. I roll them up into concrete casting tubes and usually there's one inside the other. So there's a 12 inch diameter and then like a six inch diameter. So the drawings are rolled around that smaller tube and put in the larger tube. And then I actually frame them. I have uh, frame bars, wooden or metal frame bars that go in the same tube in this very center that basically just you, you hang the drawings on the wall and then you can screw in these bars uh, to the wall and it just holds the drawings on the wall as if they were framed. It's actually a really interesting device. You can see examples, uh, on my, on my website of how that works and how they look. It really is weird because the drawings are very dimensional and, uh, very volumetric. And yet with these very flat, like steel bars on the wall, it's just, there's something weird with, with depth and flatness that happens, uh, when I display them this way. And obviously I don't, frame anything with glass or traditional frames because it would just be impossible. Now, the, the, the thing is with charcoal drawings, I mean, that does leave them exposed. I fix them very well, but um, it leaves them exposed. And of course, they you know could get damaged. But as we may have talked about before, that doesn't bother me at all. I, I feel like you know charcoal was is carbon. So it was once a living thing and then it died and you give it new life again in the drawing. And the drawing, you also have to like protect as a as a human being, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I find that to be a really cheesy, romantic kind of notion. But it doesn't bother me at all that these things are fragile. I mean, I feel like that speaks to the human condition. But they've they they they've held up remarkably well. I mean, I rarely have to have to uh, do any kind of 
alterations uh, to them. They they really have they they don't degrade. <laughs> I guess I should say. Sure, sure. Well, again, it sounds like there's a, a big, vast kind of open, you know, field for you to kind of explore in terms of subjects and and where all this is going. Um, so again, I, I definitely would encourage people to make sure that you're following Shelby. Again, maybe you should just run through some of the places because I believe you mentioned earlier that you do have like a a separate a creative outlet on Facebook specifically, mm-hmm. and then also uh, you know Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, definitely, my website shelbyshadwell.com has links to all the other social media. Um, but you know, you can search for me on Facebook, Shelby Shadwell. My artist page will likely come up, and then Instagram. You just search Shelby Shadwell. I'm sure you can find me there. I'm not on the Snapchats. Uh, I'm not on the LinkedIn. I, there's a lot of things I'm not on that uh, again would be nice to to get on. But you can find me if you search Shelby Shadwell on Patreon. You can give me a buck a month. Uh, my first supporter is going to get something special at any level of donation. So keep that in mind, too. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I'm looking forward to hearing stories of a, a flood of content suggestions and or, you know, again, I like that prompt that you had mentioned earlier again from Facebook. So I hope that people, you know, definitely take the time to, to you know, visit your your sites and your media and, and just check out what you've been up to. So again, I, I do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, too, if uh, anybody's interested, you can also check out some other older archived episodes where we might talk a little bit more about drawing process. It's kind of <laughs> kind of odd, right, that we've had this this discussion where I haven't been going. Uh, so what kind of charcoal do you use? You know, so again, <laughs> please check out some of those older podcasts. Um, and of course, uh, Shelby, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time. It's uh, always fun to talk to you and check in. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave, and really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast. Uh, Everybody should support that, too, if there's any way to support it. So thank you, uh, Dave, and I'll be sharing this. uh, I'll be liking and sharing this since I agree (laughs) on social media. Absolutely. All right, thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks once again to Shelby for joining me. You can check out his website, shelbyshadwell.com, to find out all sorts of information about exhibitions and, of course, to see the work and find out about his Instagram, Patreon, all sorts of good stuff. You'll also want to check out his work at The Big Draw, opening at William Havaugh Gallery August 3rd, running through September 15th. So if you're in the Denver area, be sure to check out that exhibition. And as we mentioned in the podcast, there are a number of interviews where we discuss at length some of Shelby's other work. So again, episode 156, 66, and way back to 16 are all available on studiobreak.com. Again, we have a variety of different artists on Studio Break, so be sure and check out our archives. Again, each of our interviews feature works by the artists as well as links to their website so you can dive deep and check out their work. So please be sure and do that. You can, of course, listen right there on studiobreak.com or just hit that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast. Of course, if you do like this podcast, please leave us some comments and feedback in iTunes as it generally helps uh, others find this podcast. You can also spread the word via social media. And, of course, if you're looking to earn some extra karma points, you can always donate to the podcast via our PayPal donation button found on studiobreak.com. So please be sure to like our Facebook page. You can also follow our Tumblr account that's at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And of course, we always like hearing from listeners and you know hearing comments. So please be sure to contribute there. 
Of course, I'd like to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out some of his artwork and other projects at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my work, you can visit DavidLinaway.com, or if you want to see some paintings in the flesh, I have a solo exhibition opening up at Manifest Gallery in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's August 17th. So if you want to see some work in person and say hello, please be sure to make it out for that opening reception. I'm really looking forward to it. You can also say hello via Facebook and or uh, Instagram as well, at uh, David Linaway and on Twitter, at David Linaway. And I think that is it. So once again, thanks for listening. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. We'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>